Well, well, happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Just Around the Corner. I'm your host, Dan. I'm a Dave. Every week we're here at 3 o'clock Tuesdays talking about Light of Day Canada, Light of Day Foundation, and interviewing and, and having a lot of the artists that have played Light of Day Canada, U.S. and Europe uh, on our show, playing some of their songs, talking about how they got involved in Light of Day. In the last episode, we spoke to Light of Day Executive Director, Mr. Tony Palagrosi. Tony's actually in Tulsa. When I talked to him today, he was having breakfast with the great Eddie Mannion, getting ready for the E Street Band show tonight in Tulsa. Tony came on, and he, he gave us a history of uh, Light of Day Foundation, how it started, Bob Benjamin, you know, uh, ending up with Parkinson's at a very young age, and they, they started the party uh, and donated their money to Parkinson's, and the rest is history. And they've raised uh, well over $5 million for the cause. And the first episode, we talked about Light of Day Canada. We had the great Rick Rose, owner of 4680Q, which is what you're listening to today. And uh, he was the reason we even moved forward with Light of Day Canada. If it wasn't for Rick and Mark Matthews, we wouldn't be sitting here talking and you guys listening to uh, all of our stories. So, you know, you've got the, the history of both Light of Day Canada and the Light of Day Foundation. And now we're going to move into... The fun part is what I want to call it. Talking to the artist, listening to uh, some of their songs, having them come in li and play live, uh, getting their stories about Light of Day, how they got started. And, and there's always some great behind-the-scenes stories. And our next guest is uh, no stranger to telling great stories, so I'm looking forward to talking to him today. But before I do some housekeeping, I want to uh, talk about our next show. Uh, we're going to try a different concept every fourth episode. So what I want to do is light a day, it's near and dear to my heart, and one of the reasons for it is the amazing music and people that I've met over the years down in New Jersey, and in Canada as well, but down in Jersey I met a lot of new people and heard a lot of great new music that I wanted to bring up this way, and we did. Folks like Jason Heath and the Greedy, uh, Greedy Souls, uh, just recently Fantastic Cat. Some great, great bands, and I want to play their music. So every fourth episode, you're going to hear some stories about these bands and some of their songs, because won't be able to get them on, uh, on the air you know, as an interview or bringing them in. So I want to play some of that great music that has uh, really become near and dear to my heart over the years. And uh, some of them will actually be playing that stuff live here in the studio. But these will be uh, some of their songs that uh, really turned me on to their music. Today... Our guest, uh, Mr. Joe Durso, is the executive director of the Light of Day Foundation. Oh, oh, oh I got to backtrack. I apologize. Part of the housekeeping. I have a couple special announcements. One of them is we have a, a friend listening in from the hospital uh, down in, a, Joe can correct me if I'm wrong on this later, uh, in New Jersey, uh, Mitchell. Uh, Mitch, I know you're listening, and hopefully this is coming across the airwaves fine for you, and I uh, hope this finds you well, and that you get better soon. I also want to dedicate this show to uh, one of our good friends. She's uh, getting me choked up. Uh, she's a photographer for Light of Day Canada. She's been down to the shore as well. Great photographer in Toronto. She um, photographs a lot of musicians and artists. She had a great book came out where she took pictures of all these artists at the great, uh, the great Hall in Toronto. Uh, I know she did my son's first photo shoot. She's a friend. She's on the Light of Day committee. Uh, big part of Light of Day, Lisa McIntosh, she lost her husband. So I want to dedicate the entire show to you, Lisa. Now, back to the show. And one thing you'll learn 
with me on the airwaves is I get choked up easy. I don't know what happened. I used to, it was funny, when I was a kid, my, my aunt would read the paper and she'd get choked up and cry <laughs> telling us a story. And we used to laugh at her. And as I got older, I don't know what happened, but, you know, I tell a, I tell a sad story <laughs> and I get choked up. So you have to put up with that part. I'll try to avoid most of it <laughs> during our shows. But, uh, Lisa, we love you, and uh, we wish you well, and I'll see you tomorrow. Um, so back to our guest today. He's the president of Light of Day Foundation and frontman of Joe Durso and Stone Caravan. That's one of those bands that I saw for the first time. They came up here, and then I would go down there and watch them. And I fell in love with him. And he's going to be on to talk about Light of Day. He's going to be on to talk about his role with the uh, Light of Day Foundation. But first off, what I want to do. Now, last week, we were supposed to uh, have a Valentine's show. Something happened with the board, and, you know, we got it all fixed up. Uh, just a little, uh, few, few too many buttons being pushed, but we got it all figured out. And Joe was supposed to be part of our Valentine's show, and I was supposed to wish my wife a happy birthday because it was her birthday. <laughs> but it had been a year, which is funny, from my last virtual online show that I... I didn't, uh, I didn't MC it. I produced it, and it was Joe's show, and it was called Blue Valentine. And this is how it was going to start last week, so I thought, what the heck? We'll start with it again. And this is from one of my favorite live albums called One More Song Live. If you don't have it in your collection, you should. If you want to get to know Joe Durso and Stone Caravan, it is the best compilation of uh, his hits but the stuff that he does live and you'll get to see what a, or you get to hear what a great man these guys are. And I guarantee you, you want to get out and watch them. So from that album, one more song live. Here's one of my favorites. This is called Valentine Blue. Steph, can I get a, a shot of uh, Jack Daniels, please? Or a, gl a glass or something. <laughs> so, uh, this is a song that I uh, wrote on the, uh, oh, thank you. That's Stephan, everyone. Say hello to Stephan. Good man. And I would say that even if he didn't give me a Jack Daniels. I always feel very Sinatra like we stand there talking on a Jack. I mean, like, what was that guy who used to bring Frank the cigarettes? Like, Sh Shelly or somebody. Shelly, Shelly right? Yeah. Couldn't remember my geometry, but I know the guy who gave Frank cigarettes, you know. That's a <laughs> so this is a song I wrote on the Isle of Arran when I realized which is off the coast of Glasgow, Scotland. We were on tour, and I realized that I did not send my wife a Valentine's Day gift. But the one thing, good thing about being a songwriter is I wrote her a song. It got me out of the doghouse. It was called Valentine Blue. I'm sitting here at the top of the world Just thinking of you, girl All we've said and done In our little ones Didn't send a flower wreath But my love is yours to keep I'll be home real soon We'll heat up the winter like June So won't you be my valentine Through the slipstreams of time Can you hear the words I send? 
Should be my Valentine through the slipstreams of time. Can you hear the words I send to you? Valentine's red, like the sun setting now on your bed. But tonight I'm Valentine. So and Stone Caravan, one of my one of my favorite live albums. One more song live. Make sure you add that one to your collection. And I, I think you should be taking notes every week because I'm going to be turning you on to some incredible music. I guarantee it from these great people with big hearts, the light of day musicians. I really, really love that song. And again, that was supposed to be for our Valentine's show. So without further ado, and as long as he's online i've got the fingers crossed I've, I, I've got i'm holding on to my cross i'm doing everything so that joe does appear i want to introduce you to not only a very good friend of mine but he's the hardest working man in rock and roll he wears a thousand different hats which we'll find out about soon he's mr light of day he's an adopted son of niagara falls i want to introduce to you the great joe durso are you there joe Joe? I'm just screwing with you. 
bastard. I don't know what I can, if I can swear online here, but you bastard. Oh, Sorry about that. My I heart was in my feet. <laughs> well, I can make Gord's get a great laugh out of that one. Uh, so. Hopefully, Mitchell, too. Hey, Mitchell, hope you're doing well down there. I know you're recovering so uh and it's funny i don't know if you play that song uh well i, I guess you play the song because of valentine's day but that's the song that mitchell who you dedicate you sent out uh, yeah. uh notice that that's the song he always requests really i didn't know yeah that. and i and i only play that song around valentine's day it's one of those songs i've been told i should play it all the time um but i don't well, you get the feel Sometimes have time to squeeze it on in there, you know. So. <laughs> well, you know, I was so excited about this show. Except, you know, I, I'm I'm new to the you know in station podcast thing, and we've had a couple hiccups. And I'm thinking this is this is a really good interview. This is going to be so much fun, as long as it works. And then you had to mess, yeah. you had to mess with me. So yeah, well that, yeah. that's good. That's okay. I'm glad you were just messing with me because <laughs> the bead of sweat that dripped down my head at that mm. moment was. <laughs> That's funny. Well, <laughs> and, if, and if anybody has seen uh, any of our virtual talks, uh, they'll know that me and you can kind of go on forever. So we do actually have a hard end to the show. So I'll That's I'll good. try to That's keep good. track of uh, <laughs> keep track of that. How you doing, Joey T? Good, good. I'm just. It was today's been a fun day because I just was sitting here in my office and played um, for an associate of mine who's actually it was my first boss in the music business in 1986. Uh, when I got out of school, he was the agent for the Ramones, and um, I worked for him for a, a while before going over to the Tom Petty Bruce world, but uh, I just played him uh, all the rough demos of my new record, which is uh, titled Thurman. Yes, and, uh, I, saw the, be, I saw Thurman's yeah. jersey online there, yeah. Yeah, it should be out in June, but you know we have a bunch of sessions still to do um, for overdubs, but all the basics are done, and... You know, a good amount is done. Uh, you know, another three or four really good studio sessions will be a lot closer. But I'm shooting for having it wrapped up by the end of March and then mixed and out the door by mid-April, which gives me a fighting chance to have a vinyl, <laughs> uh, my first vinyl in hand by the end of June when I'll do the CD release shows in Pyramont, New York, New York, and. Um, and then in New Jersey, uh, nice. in Asbury Park, before I head overseas. So, you know, be my, I think my, um, I, I, I'm losing count. It could be my 16th or 17th. I think 16. If, I was looking, I was doing, you know, yeah. I, not that I need to research you too much, but no, I was I think reading I and I thought it said me. you had 15 albums out before uh, this one. So. Yeah, but that could be absolutely incorrect. If you actually go to my, because the first one, there's two records on it now, the way it is. So that'd be three, four, seven, nine, twelve, fifteen. Yeah, this is gonna be my sixteenth. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so that's what you know. When I was doing working on the uh, the album cover, you know, Thurman War fifteen. Um, yeah. And I thought, you know, I think that's originally how it came to mind. It was gonna be my fifteenth record, uh, inclusive of some compilations. Uh, and my acoustic excursion record, which uh, came out last summer. Uh, but then what happened was I wound up putting out a live record from Germany last summer, which came. Uh, there was no plans on that whatsoever. Up. Yeah, and then I figured, <laughs> who cares? I'm still going to call Thurman. Well, I, know, <laughs> I, know, I know another guy who really, really loved Thurman, and I, and I, I recall him uh, – I, I never saw my dad cry a lot, and then when that news uh, broke, uh, 
he got all choked up. I never, I never sure. forget that day when. What, what was it? Was it a plane crash? August, yeah, August of '79. He was playing. Yeah. Uh, he was doing touch and go practicing in Akron, Ohio, with his private jet. He just had. He just moved up from his propeller plane to now a jet, and uh, his friends Lou Pinella and uh, uh, Bobby Mercer thought that was quite a lot of plane for him. Um, but he was so into it because it allowed him. When the games were over, he would fly home, visit his family, uh, spend a day if it was a day off, and then fly back, which it was really tough to do a commercial, especially he didn't live in a big city. It was Akron, so you you know back then I'm sure you had to go through Cleveland to get there. So um, yeah, you know uh, I'm probably in, I'm in the middle of pen, uh, perhaps writing a song with that title. I'm not sure. I, I wasn't counting on it oh, to be on the nice. record, but I was. Driving the other day, and words started coming to me as I was driving. And I still think of that afternoon because it was an August afternoon. I remember it was my uh, summer league, Babe Ruth. I was 15 years old, just turned <laughs> 15. And my buddy Phil Angelastro and I uh, were playing, uh, we're on the same team. And we, you know, the way 15 year old boys do, and I'll right. do my best not to get choked <laughs> up here, uh, you know, dedicated the game to Thurman. You know, it was oh, like, man. you know, we had to play that game. And for whatever reason that afternoon, um, we were both decent to good ball players. But if my memory serves me correct, between the two of us, we went eight for nine and drove in a bunch of runs and just really elevated our game that day. The and, spirit uh, of Thurman Munson was yeah, you. yeah, it really was. And uh, and I met Thurman once. Oh, really? um, this is a story I've told many times. Uh, is I graduated uh, Our Lady of the Sacred Heart Catholic Grammar School of June of 78. Right. And and it was a one through eight, and then the next year I had to go on to high school. And that afternoon, my parents, I think it, after the graduation uh, ceremony, we uh, took us out to lunch, my, my sisters and I and my parents. And then my sister Joanne, uh, for her my graduation gift, uh, we drove to Closter, New Jersey. There was a record store there. I forgot the name of it. Um, the guy still he still has it in a different town, believe it or not. And uh, we go there to pick up my graduation gift, which is going to be Meatloaf's "Bat Out of Hell," which has just come out. <laughs> I uh, remember when that came. You out. know, every good Catholic schoolboy should have a record called "Bat Out of Hell." So, <laughs> uh, so we go and pick that up. And as I'm either going into the record store, or coming out, I can't remember clearly now. I look across at the dry cleaners, and I see Thurman Munson walking into the dry cleaners. Wow. Now, a lot of the Yankees had lived in the north part of Bergen County, New Jersey, because it was so easy to get to Yankee Stadium, okay. Palisades Parkway, GW, boom, you're there. So Catfish Hunter was another one of my favorites. Oh. He lived in the area. Gene Michaels, uh, I think uh, Stick Stanley, Fred Stanley had lived in that area. Whole, uh, maybe even Nettles. Freddie was Whole a Red Sox. What's that? Wasn't Freddie a Red Sox, too? Uh, he might have went up there yeah. eventually, maybe towards the decline of his career. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they, um, so I, I, I said to my sister, I said, "That's Thurman. I, I want to go say hello." She's like, "Okay." So I go across the street, and I open up the door, and there's Thurman Munson there at the counter. Wow. He kind of looked up, and I said, "Hi, that Thurman." Big mustache. Yeah, he said, "Hi, Thurman." I said, "Hey," and you know, being that I'm at this point, this is a year prior. I'm 14 years old, so you know oh, yo, everything it. that's going. Actually, sure. I'm about to turn. I haven't even turned 14 yet. So I, I, I know that I know that Gidry's pitching that night. Ooh. So I say to him, I said, "Hey, can you tell Louisa and the Lightning to strike out a few for me tonight?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> so, so now, 
we go home. Uh, it's June 18th. That was the day, or whatever, something like that. And um, uh, or June 4th, man, I can't remember the exact date. And um, so we go home, and my parents are having all my relatives over, as you know, as you do when you graduate and have a little ceremony like that. And everyone's coming over. And that night is the night that Gidry strikes out 18 California Angels oh. and sets the American League record. Well. Of course, at this point, I'm taking full, full credit for that claim. <laughs> full claim. I'm walking around the house like I told Thurman to strike out a few. He's striking these out. For, I mean, full claim. It's all me at that point. <laughs> well, it, it, to our listeners out there, um, I think it's easy to see that this man is a diehard Yankee fan, and I'm on the opposite side of the tracks. I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan, but you know, it's it's one of those teams, and nobody nobody that likes the Red Sox understands me including my son, um, <laughs> is why I have this affinity to it. it. Yes, it's because my dad was a Yankee fan, but I, sure. I just grew up, but I grew up, list, it, it's it's greatness. I grew up listening and, you know, seeing all this greatness, Reggie Jackson, you just met, mentioned Ron Guidry, all these great Catfish. players. How could you, how could yeah. you not, it's like the Montreal Canadiens in hockey. I mean, I'm, no, not, exactly. I'm not a fan, but exactly. I, can't, I can't hate them. I can't hate the Leafs. There's too much greatness. And uh, yeah, we, we have that, that we have the Yankee Red right. Sox. Now, Gord, I know Gord's listening and <laughs> Gord stop Facebook messaging me because I didn't turn the notifications off and it kept coming up during the song. <laughs> I kept hearing beep during the song. I'm like, oops, that was me. Um, but we also have another rivalry. You're a big giant fan and I'm a cowboy fan. And mm -hmm. Both of us didn't make out too good this year. Yeah. We did all yeah. right. But. So me and Joe, me and Joe, we have a lot to talk about even outside of music you know, when it comes to sports. Uh, no, yeah. what, what am I missing here? Hockey, baseball, football. Well, you know, I've, I've been going to a lot of Ranger, Ranger games fan, lately. Right? I've been going to a lot of Ranger games lately. You're not an Islander fan, though. No, no, no. I've been a Ranger fan. When I was a little kid, my cousin, who I, I don't know how this relationship started, my cousin was a printer. Uh, my uh, he's still alive, and his his kids, uh, my cousins who are closer to my age, run the printing business now. But when I was a little kid in the early '70s, he was friends with a whole bunch of Rangers. And oh, if you're cool. going back to like 73, we're talking about the gag line, goal of game. Um, so he, when I would go over to their house, again, in Tapan, we're not, we're, it's New York, so we're not far out of New York City. Um, Vic Hatfield would be there. Oh, um, Bruce McGregor, yeah. Ro, uh, Roger Bear. Uh, <clears throat> um, what was wow. his name? Uh, Jean uh, Rattel. Yeah, um, Jean Rattel. So, yep, so all Ryan those Park. people would be there. Yeah. So when I was 16 years old, Probably my second trip to Canada. My dad had taken us when I was a little kid to see Niagara Falls. Nice and place I do, Yeah, we were just on your side just a little bit. Uh, but I do remember uh, walking around Niagara Falls. Um, but now, now at 16, I just got my license. And uh, I, my cousin says, hey, we're going to go up to visit my buddy Vic. So we go up to Vic Hatfield's golf course wow. in Hammertown, right. up in Hammertown. Um, I don't know if it was right in. Hammertown or outside, wherever you, you're, you're, some of your listeners might know where Vic had his golf course. He might even still have it. So we go up there because he's having a pro-am. So we go up there Friday night, and we stay with him and his family because my cousin was friends with them. And, you know, Vic was just, you know, he was telling great stories. I remember asking him about uh, saying, hey, you know, this new new kid, remember what year it is, 1980, Bobby Carpenter, I hear he's going to oh, be wow. another another Gretzky and 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 you know, Vic said, "Hey, Bobby's great, but I've known Wayne since he's twelve. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not he's not Gretzky." <laughs> um, 
And I was like, and obviously I trusted it. And, and anytime I would get up, like I went to the bathroom, I come back, I go to bite into my sandwich, there'd be like plastic mustard packets in my sandwich. Like Vic Hatfield was a, apparently a very large prankster. I was just going to say, <laughs> so, obviously. Um, he would tell me stories about, uh, what's his name, was the coach of the Rangers at that time, Emil, uh, Emil, Emil Francis. Oh, my God, and, yeah, I remember that. And they would, uh, there was a guy, his name was like Walt Kachuk. Walt Yes, well, could you? Yeah. And I think he was a rookie at this time. I think his sons are story. playing now. Yeah, and he uh, and they told him when you get back, no matter what time, you pound on his door, let him know you're back. He wants to know all his rookies. <laughs> <laughs> so at two o'clock in the morning, you got this drunk hockey player pounding on his head coach's door. I'm back, and the guy's like starts screaming. Thanks for letting me know. And he said, all of a sudden, he looked down the hallway, and he's like, I feel like he knew who put him up to it. So, that was, so, so what happens then is the Pro-Am comes, and the next day, early win is there, like all these old, a uh, couple of old baseball players, hockey players. But then as a 16-year-old, I meet a then 19-year-old, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, you met Wayne. Yes, and I, you know, my memory wants to tell me I golfed in his foursome, but that's not true. Um, <laughs> but I did ah, meet him, and I did, I did oh, golf that day, but it wasn't in his foursome. Very cool story. But that was that was my time up in uh in, in Hamilton. Now, see, there you go, folks. I told you, we go on <laughs> tangents. We, my my next question, which was supposed to be about ten minutes ago, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is how we this is how we roll. Gord tells me to write a book all the time. <laughs> you you got to write a book. I'm like, I know, one of these days. But it has to be a, a, a book that can continually grow after you've published it. Like you can right, add exactly. chapters to it. But, you need like uh, an audio book. <laughs> so Gord mentioned to me, I want to kind of go back to the song we played, um, mm -hmm. Valentine Blue. He said there was an interesting story about where you wrote the song. Now, in the, on the live album, you mentioned yeah. that you forgot <laughs> to buy Lisa uh, yeah. a Valentine present. So, mm -hmm. I mean can't get much better than writing a song, but right. uh, he's telling me there's a funny story, and uh, I thought you could yeah, kind we're, of fill we're us in. We're on the island of Arran, up in, uh, off of Glasgow in Scotland, and it's pretty remote. And I, uh, I remember calling my best friend since childhood, uh, John Parker. I said, hey, JP, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm in Puerto Rico, uh, you know, with Lisa, his Lisa. He's married to Lisa as well. I said, what, what, what's that all about? He goes... Uh, it's Valentine's Day. I took her, you know, for a couple of days away. I'm like, oh man, it's Valentine's Day. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Blah blah blah. So I think I might have made a phone call at that point, and you know, I knew I had to do something to get out of the doghouse. But my buddy Mick Kemp, who was our opening act on this tour, and yeah. we've done so so many shows with moment. over the years in uh, in the UK. He was with his his girlfriend had come up and he hadn't gotten her anything, so he was able to find a, a plastic red rose on the island. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, we're not going to find any one. fresh roses on the island of Aaron. <laughs> yeah, so he gave her that, and then our our the room we were staying at was right above the stage. So this performing was downstairs and uh, at this inn. Uh, the the he you know he had different bedrooms upstairs where he put up the musicians who were traveling through. So Mick and I both wrote a song that night. We all, I think it was almost like a, like let's see if we can write a song and play it. So he opened up the show, he opened up and I think it's called I, I don't even know the name of the title of his song. I should know that uh from telling the story and then mine was Valentine Blue that I played that night, but we both debuted the songs we wrote between soundcheck and showtime <laughs> once we found out uh, we had both screwed up on Valentine's Day. That is uh, cool. So yeah. you, you literally wrote it 
in that short amount of time. Yeah, it just came. You know, the good ones come quickly. Yes, I was just going to say, that stood the test of time, that song. Yeah, it still stands up. Um, You know, one of the songs, speaking of Light of Day, you know, and that I also wrote in the U.K., I actually wrote it in mixed front room down in Surrey um, for Bob Benjamin is Hold On, which is... Which everybody will be hearing at the end of the show. Oh, okay, yeah, which has become a song that we do... Uh, you know, I recorded that song twice. Once I did a version on Down Here by the River with Stone Caravan, right turn, yeah. which starts off acoustic, and then it kind of gets into a Stonesy vibe after that. And I just thought it missed out on the the, the proper emotional the plateau right. that I wanted for that song. So right. I then re-recorded it for Jersey Diner with just one acoustic guitar and myself, Greg Likens, and Vinnie Mad Dog Lopez, the three of us singing together. On that. Well, it's funny. And, you, funny you mentioned Vinny. Vinny is actually going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. So I, so oh, I throw, yeah, want to throw that out there to our. Yeah, you know, he's, a, he's always a good. He's got a few stories for you. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, so, I actually had a, an interesting uh, evening with him. He, they were having the bag down at the Paramount, or not the Paramount, uh, the Berkeley after mm-hmm. after the Paramount. And I came down. I was one. Of the, I was the only sober one, and we did a, a great version of Hula Hula Boys by Warren Zevon. Well, <laughs> oh, that's the name of his Florida. I didn't realize that was a Warren song. Band. Yeah, so sorry. Ah, I did not that's mean Vinny's to band. No, 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 Vinny's band in Florida. He spent half the year in Florida. It's called the Hula Hula Boys. That's right. And I had that's no. Right. I had no idea that was a Zevon song. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, yes. Yeah, so that was. Um, I wrote "Hold On" in the front room, and it's a show we end every. Light of Day main set with now in Light of Day Europe and a whole bunch of Light of Day shows here in the States and now I get a chance to go out towards the end of our the Big Bash with Bob in the room and sing that song in Asbury or Red Bank and it's uh and I got to tell but, our listeners because it, I've been there for many of those and uh, there's not a dry eye in the house you'll you'll look around and I mean You've been doing it for several years, and now it's you know it's become a something that we're all looking forward to. And I did look around, and and you know you see people dry, uh, you know wiping away a tear. It's just yeah. it's something that it, as much as light of day, the song uh, and one guitar, I guess, uh, have become synonymous with the foundation. This song is uh, it, it, it ha- to me it has more of an emotional tie to yeah. I, I, to I it think light of day and one guitar. Uh, two songs I play as well, yes, you know, though uh, uh, one written by Bruce that Joe has done over the years, the other one written by Frankie Lee and Willie Nile. I um, I think you know, both of those are rockers, right? So that's yep, the exactly. celebratory part of Light of Day, the fighting back part, and then I think Hold On becomes the emotional part. Exactly. Um, so they they all they work in different ways, uh, and I think they match the personalities of Light of Day. We are rockers, we are fighters, and we are emotional. So I think that really kind of serves all, all three masters there. And as I say to everybody every week, um, well, I've only had three, but you know, my three episodes. <laughs> it, it's it's. But I've said this for years to a lot of people that I run into. The the uh, the people that are part of Light of Day, uh, not not just the musicians, the fans too, but all the musicians I've met. Um, they have big hearts, and they are emotionally connected oh, yeah. to the cause it's not hey i'm going to play the show and i'm leaving and i'll be out the back door and in my car they're emotionally attached to it and you watch the love that bob gets mm. you know i almost feel guilty going over to say hi to him I, you know there's so many people around him and it, it's 
all the artists, they, they make sure right. they go up to him. They, you know, some of them cry, you know, because he's yeah. in a different position these days. And, well, and you can see the you say that. If you, let me, I just want to interrupt for a second because I don't want to forget this point because a lot right. of those musicians come up to him and a lot of the Light of Day supporters, and they'll walk up to him and say, hey, we love you, Bob. And they'll yeah. say these wonderful things. Now, many people don't know Bob. Right. And over the last few years, Bob has had a, a a real struggle with any verbal communication. Even for those who have known us, known him for years, have a tough time communicating. So now, what's happened over the years, and and I think it shows you the goodness of people is that they, you know, so there this emotion that they're feeling for Bob, someone they don't know, is rep- he's representing something, something really good. Yes. And I think that's something that's really good in that person because otherwise it doesn't come out in that way. I and I've, see, I've totally seen people agree. get very emotional and kissing him and hugging him who, who, who didn't know him prior um, to him having Parkinson's or even in the first 10 years when he was um, still running the organization as opposed to less. You know, to, uh, I guess it's about 10 years, you know, that it's, he's, he has had to, you know, other people have taken over certain roles and now to the point where, you know, we take over all the roles that he used to right, do exactly. as our founder. And I think watching the people get emotional, it says a lot about that person. Oh, 100%. As much and it does and about Bob. And yeah. I'll tell you, this year, uh, a special moment for me and Ev, um, at the pony, Evan was uh, getting ready to go on uh, in between. Uh, I think he was in between Jared and Miss Emily, and mm-hmm. uh, he was on the acoustic stage. And Bob got wheeled in, and right in front of him, and he was sat. He sat there and watched Ev, and he was uh, and he was smiling. Okay. And then when I went to say something to him, uh, he oh. he leaned in and said, "He did really good." Uh, it made a lot. That meant that meant the world to me. I said that we yeah, sure. we can go now. We can leave now. That was uh, <laughs> right. We're out of here. We're out of here. So, <laughs> so now I want to turn the I want to turn uh, the interview a little bit, and I want to get into one of the things that always fascinated me uh, about you, Joe. Uh, besides all the hats you wear and all the uh, good that you do in this world, is how you got started in the music business. Because I remember when I first found yeah. out. You know that you know. I'll let you tell the story. It, it just it, it really did fascinate me. So tell our listeners how you how you got into the biz and then how it led to Stone Caravan. Yeah. So uh, you know, I came out of school. I'm 22. Graduated college with a communication media degree, thinking I'm about to get into film and TV. But I was always such a hardcore music lover, fan. You know. Great record collection, um, yeah. but I didn't play any uh, instrument. I didn't sing. I've always been a writer. You hadn't played yet? Sorry. No, no, oh, no, I no, no, no. I tried a couple of times, but I failed each time. Just <laughs> gave up. And then, and then I, uh, but I was always a lyric writer, which makes sense as that's kind of been my forte since you know uh, right. I started this. But uh, and wrote poems. I was a poetry minor in college, English minor, minor oh, with a, I didn't with know a that yeah, either. with poetry and. Um, up in Fredonia, not far from you. No, that's right. Um, so, uh, and then I got to New York, and I ran into a buddy of mine who was working for a couple of bands. Uh, they were still coming up, Psychedelic Furs and REM, uh, but the police had had some success. And he told me about this agency stuff that he did. This guy's Steve Ferguson, who I'd gone to high school with. He was a year older than me. And then um, I went down to visit him, and he gave me a series of different names. 
of different agencies. And the first one I went to was a smaller one called the John Huey Agency. And John Huey wound up being very successful in the music business. Um, um, but his roster was you know, a little strange. And then he told me, don't even bother going to this one. It's called Premier Talent. They got Bruce and Tom Petty, but they've got <laughs> like all these stadium That's acts. All they and they're have very, to say to you. <laughs> yeah, they're very small. There's only like, you know, maybe 12 people who work there. Um, so I, you know, I always say when I tell the story, when you're a kid, you don't think in million to one odds or 300,000 to one odds. You think in yes or no. You think in 50 right. 50 odds. So I showed up there and they said, hey, how'd you hear about the job? And I'm like, what job? I'm like, I'm just showing up to put in a resume. Apparently someone had gotten fired the day before. Oh, that's tiny. And um, so I said, you know, do you know how to type? I said, sure. I said, come back Monday. I left there, went right to Sears, bought an electric typewriter, <laughs> practiced for the Learned next few type. days. <laughs> oh, no, I, I you know, no, sister, uh, I think sister Helen, sister Roberta, yeah, we, Kier, sister, e sister Edith, that's who it was, taught me in um, my senior year of high age. school. We were the same age. We had typewriting class. That's right. right? We, but remember, this is pre-internet, pre-computers, oh, yeah. so no one's typing yet. Like, if really you were pre. a male who knew how to type, oh. you know, people would almost giggle. Because only, only at this point, only girls were secretaries, right? Yeah, Or the majority. Uh, the only guy who was typing in the army was the guy maybe sending Morse code or the you know the clerk, <laughs> you know, Radar O'Reilly. But you know, guys didn't really type. That's so true. I go there and um, uh, I wind up taking uh, the test and I did well enough. And then I, I, they bring me in to meet these two agents. One actually sitting next to me, my. My original first boss, Tim McGrath, and so the guy Jorge Cavedo, and they were working on, um, and they had both. They, you know, uh, uh, Tim's uh, main band at that point was the Ramones, and George had just signed the wow. Smithereens. Oh. Uh, so those were the two They've first two bands I worked on. And uh, the funny thing was, like, so what do you do right now? And I said, I'm a barker. And I remember Tim saying, a barker? What do you mean you're a barker? I said, <laughs> yeah, I work at 10 at night to 6 in the morning at the uh, uh, at a fish market, uh, which is an offset of the Fulton Street, uh, Fulton Street Fish Market, in, and it's in Long Island City, Queens, and I bark out orders. Three pounds of flounder, <laughs> 10 pounds of... <laughs> and they fill up these boxes, and they bring them to restaurants and supermarkets. So my cousin had gotten me a summer job while I was looking for my <laughs> real job. So this turns then into and then I become a secretary working for those guys for a year and a half. And then Barry Bell, who had been Springsteen and Petty's longtime agent, had fired his assistant. He comes over to me and says, hey, you want to work for me? And he and I never talked music. We were both the sports guys. Okay. So it was Yankee, Mets. We all, we, except for the Rangers, we didn't like any team. So it was always kind of almost like conversations you and I had. <laughs> right. So I said, great. And he said, well, I said, okay, you're going to let my bosses know. And he said, no, no, you have to tell them. I'm like, I don't, they hired me. I don't want to tell them. He goes, well, then you're not going to work for me. So I remember walking over to Tim and George's office and telling them, and they're like, sure, you want to go work for the big tour now? And I said, and they don't, they were giving me a little bit of grief, but not really. Like, yeah, we understand the word. Sure, so. So within two months, it's now the Tunnel of Love tour. I worked on five Springsteen tours, and I think, really? I think at least four. Yeah, I did Tunnel of Love Express, uh, Amnesty International, Human Touch, Lucky Town, and Ghost of Tom Joe. So four tours. Wow. Um, and then I left in 96, but while I was probably as a – at that point, well, those 18 months I was working for Tim and George, I started going down to Greenwich Village on Monday night for open mic nights. Oh. Um, 
because I'd been at the premiere of U2's Rattle and Hum. That was a real... I, I knew that, U2 was in this story. Okay. Yeah, that was the real... I, and they were sitting 10 rows in front of us, and I saw that, and you know, all I have is three chords and the truth from Bono and a red <laughs> guitar. And I'm like, that night on the subway station, my uh, old roommate in the original Stone Caravan drummer, Bob Place, I said to him, I go, you know, we got to start a band. He's like, hey, I already know how to play drums. You need to learn how to play guitar. So I stayed in that winter. It was easy. Didn't have much money because they paid us crapola in the music business yeah, as, an, right. as an assistant. And I learned a handful of chords. And then, um, fortunately, my brother-in-law uh, was a bass player, and my cousin, Richie, was a rhythm guitar player. Um, so we started getting together in the summer of 89. And uh, I had written, you know, I had all these words. So we started, you know, I, did, I knew I didn't want to go the cover route. I, a, I wasn't good enough to play other people's songs. <laughs> um, and then we started, and November 17th of 89 was the first gig. We picked a lock and the empty apartments downstairs from where I was living, and we put about 100 people in there, and we rocked out. <laughs> Kegs of bad beer. boy, bad rock yeah. and roll boy. Yeah, and then that was the start of, um, we were still called Three Chords in the Truth then, um, after the that moment I saw Bono on screen. And, uh, and then that April, April of 90, we had to put out our first demo, and that's when we came up with the name Stone Caravan. And we were that, for all the demos, the first three records, uh, and then on the fourth record, on Mirrors, my brother-in-law had said, hey, you're writing all the songs. You're starting to get some of the attention here. You know, we should change this name to Joe Gerso. So it was originally Caravan. just Stone Caravan. Yeah, yeah. And when did yeah, and I, if you've ever noticed, even at nights now, at the end of the night when I introduce the band, I'll say, Greg Likens on guitar, you know, uh, Jerry on bass, Seth on piano, whoever I'm introducing. And I'll, and I'll always say, and I'm Joe Gerso, and we're Stone Caravan. I always... That's how I always introduced the band right, since day right. one because one I'm on, I'm always in I'm part of Stone Caravan. It's my band. It's the band I'm in. Right. But for you know because of the music business, they tend to want to have a, a face. Front man, yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think you'd ever have the E Street Band without Bruce being in the E Street Band exactly. or Tom Petty without ever being in the Heartbreakers. Right. No, yeah. it makes sense. So yeah. when did so when did uh, Lou, uh, Greg, and Sammy come so into Sammy the band? So um, Sammy came in, Sammy th uh, was the third drummer I had worked with, okay. now Gary Pellegrino being the fourth since Sammy's health has been spotty over the last yeah, year. Um, yeah, I will. Um, so Sammy came in December of 94, and the first thing he did was like a two or three week tour. We were the opening act for Eddie Money on the East Coast uh. in 95. Uh, Greg came in, um, actually, next would have been... My brother-in-law, Dan, had a, a, a health issue, so I brought in this other guy, Pete Moore, to replace him for a year. And I had another guitar player at the time who was having uh, issues with elbow bending, so um, he brought in Greg Likens. So that would have been about 2000. And then Pete left, and Sammy knew Mr. Lou from the Dirt Club down in Jersey, uh, and he brought in Louie. So that's how the four of us got together. And that lineup got to be probably the best known out of any lineups I've had because we started touring overseas every year. Right. Every February, we started going to the U.K. and Italy. Then we got the Harley-Davidson World Tour. Uh, and then the light of days things started cooking up. So the four of us, that was really the lineup that got the best known. Um, and it didn't hurt that you had 
the most fun bass player of all the bands I've ever seen with the biggest smile and the biggest heart, yeah. Mr. Lou. Yeah, he was, that didn't he was, hurt. He was, uh, I always like to say, he was a shaman that played the bass. Listen, uh, when, when you guys first started coming around and nobody knew your names quite yet, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you eventually became an adopted son of Niagara Falls. But prior to that, when you were just coming and people were just getting to know all of you guys, I would always get from people, I really like that band, you know, with the really funny bass player. You know, the guy who played the bass really down low. And I'm like, well, Lou, everybody well, loves Lou. Well, well, it's funny. It wasn't until after Louie had passed away, which is now like seven years. I know, which is crazy. I was looking at that. That I started getting, oh, people started sending in all these videos and photos. And I got to tell you, I had no idea most of the time what was going on behind yeah, me. Yeah, that's, well, that's true. You're up front, right? Right, because my rule of thumb with Lou was, don't get into my line of vision. Like, <laughs> I'm going to forget lyrics. Yeah. So you could do yeah, whatever you're laugh. doing, just don't get into my line of vision, my, my, you know, my peripheral, because not that I don't, you know, not that I'm trying to take anything away from you. When I'm not singing, do whatever you want. But when I'm singing, I'll I'll screw up. So just and he's like, got it. You want to be cracking up, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm singing 30 songs a night, you know. So it's a lot of words to remember, you know. <laughs> now listen, so, we're gonna take a quick break because I want to play a song on the on the flip side of the song. I want to bring you back and I want to talk about uh, Light of Day and your your involvement sure. and and stuff. But you know, you've been coming down here for a long, long time, and I want to talk on, again on the other side of this about. Um, a show that this always reminds me of this song and it's, and it's one of my favorite songs but i did mention that you're like an adopted son of niagara falls and this this to me has kind of been the joe derso and stone caravan anthem so we'll see you guys on the flip side of this this is called welcome home Says that you 
Uh, that song, it it makes my heart push through the chest here. It's just a it's just a, a beautiful song, but it really really brings back a lot of great great memories of Joe Durso and Stone Caravan playing here in Niagara Falls. And and I got Joey back here on the line. And uh, I don't know if you remember this because you play a thousand shows a year <laughs> and you've been doing it for a long time. But uh, we had a show. I don't remember how it came about, but at a little place called Italian Ice Cream. Oh, yeah. He was a sponsor. Yes, Andrew. Was I, a, I, I came in, played acoustic. Yeah, and it was right? ups, It was kind of, It's it, there's two levels at Italian Ice Cream. It's small. And right, because at least it was a summer thing. I had my wife and kids with me. We were coming up to vacation in the Niagara Falls area. And he said, well, while you're there, let's set, set up a show. So and it was kind of a pop-up, right? Like yeah, exactly. It wasn't? Yeah. Okay, that, that's what I was wondering. I was trying to yeah. rack this uh, old brain of mine. And and I remember buying a, a buying a sign that said, welcome home, and it was in behind you. I still got the yes, photos. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> and then, if you recall, you were playing, and uh, the guys from the Roxwells came, and mm. I think TJ was playing, like, the spoons and the and the yes. plates behind yeah. you. It was, and it was honestly... We've done a lot of things for Lady Day. That is one of my favorite memories. And uh, me and Andrew were just talking about it not too long ago. But it's, uh, that was a fun, fun time. Besides liking those boys, each one of them tremendously personally, um, the Roxwells were probably my my favorite band. And nothing against Frankie's band. No, no, or, no, I know. Or the Mandeville. You know, I've, I've, I mean, there's all songs from each, all, all those Canadians. But there was some, you know, we just did a lot of nights. Remember, when we would do Yanks, Sometimes, um, it, maybe occasionally they would open, but then we would play our, we would use their gear. We would play our whole, you know, two, three hour, whatever we did. And then they would play after us. Yes, like, into the late night. That's right. And I'm like, what do you, and they'd be like, what are you guys playing? I've told the story a bunch of times. They're like, oh, um, uh, side two of um, The Who's, um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, what, what was the rock opera, the early one? Uh, Tommy, Love Rain Tommy. Over Me. Tom, no, not Tommy, the other one. The, oh, um, I was thinking um, Tommy. Um, uh, the Kids Are All Right kids, or something. Okay. One of those. They were oh, Quadrophenia. Like, Quadrophenia, yeah. yeah. We're going to be playing side two of Quadrophenia. I'm like, really? Like, who the hell are you kids? Like, you know, they were <laughs> well, great. I'll tell you, Gizzy had something. And he, oh. and he still does, I'm assuming. I haven't seen them in a while. But Well, and having the, the you know the cousins is the rhythm section, TJ and, um, um, not David. Uh, what was the big, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I, I'm big, having a brain. And then he had the too. twins. Yep. Um, I'm just, you know, just great guys who could really play. And uh, Maddie was Matt. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, now, yeah. and, and, uh, with TJ, so, when you say you know, these guys could really play, just a, another quick story for folks. Uh, I like the behind-the-scenes stuff for Light of Day that people mm. don't know, but... Uh, it was Friday night before uh, <laughs> Light of Day. It was Light of Day Eve, and I get a call from Jason Heath. No, was it Jason Heath? Yeah, that, that happened too. Um, yeah, it was Jason Heath. His drummer couldn't make it over the border to right. do some legal problems, right. and they were panicked. So we called TJ up. TJ went to their room and Learned spent the it. next several hours learning their music because they were a band that hadn't been here yet. So right. nobody really knew them. And if I do recall correctly as well, TJ also backed you and Gary Bonds and, and, and Willie, Willie and in Willie one Nile show. And, and Hamilton. In one and show. And also, Sammy got ill, and TJ flew into... Oh, I remember I can't that. remember. I remember. And he was my drummer at for a big Harley-Davidson thing in Milwaukee. 
and his brother and his father happened to be riding their motorcycles out to this event. They were going already. How cool is that? And then TJ played drums. It was like a 19-song set, and he we rocked out. Yeah, I know. He's, and, you know, um, as a non-musician, um, it boggles my mind how you can do that, like how he did that. And drummers can do that. Uh, I can, you know, I would, wow. you know, I can learn the rhythm guitar part. So yeah, I can do that. And lead guitars can do that. But drummers, it's a whole, because drummers aren't listening to, they don't tend to listen to lyrics. Right, right, right. They're, uh, you know, yeah, they're um, following you know, along with but I also thought the, the Roxwells always had this one great song called, um, Take You Home Tonight, mm. uh, that if the Strokes would have recorded would have been a hit song. Um, well, it should have been a hit song for them. It was just, you know, you guys had a, have always had a great... That was the thing that always impressed us guys from Jersey when we got out, uh, came up to you, was that this, this crazy musical bed of great musicians, and the reason why is that there was places for people to play. And you know, it's kind um, of the same way. we got a band called Gin now, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Nicole Sermonera and and her brother and uh, Miles Rogers, and they got that Roxwell's feel. They, they, uh, I know I, get, I sent Tony their stuff because I was going to try to get them down to Light of Day Asbury, and uh, it, it's just incredible talent. Something straight out of Woodstock. Uh, a lot like it, to me, they reminded me of the Roxwells. And there's a yeah. lot of great talent in this town. And you yeah. know, with, with Evan now yeah. being in this music scene, I'm seeing things that I, you know, I kind of, and I'm not saying I wore blinders, but, you know, I just didn't see it. Now it's there, and you're like, wow, yeah. we've yeah, got well, some you, talent. You, you're just exposed to it. That's all it is. I mean, when we went to Hammer, uh, Hamilton yep. uh, for Light of Day, oh, that's, how I met, that's how I met the Dinner Bells, which then turned into becoming friends with T- Tara Lightfoot. Yeah. Um, oh, that Hamilton well is, so. is just incredible with the amount of talent. And, Dave and Raven, then I, I, met, I met, uh, though I played on a festival with Joel Plaskett, that's how and, I met yeah, Joel. There you go. Obviously, and then how can we, you know, Peter Elkis, who's been a tremendous member to this family, opening the door uh, to a lot of his friends oh, yeah. um, that he's yeah. brought to the light of day plate, and that, you know, let alone his own original stuff. It's, well, this, yeah, is, so, this, this is a great segue, because we're going to have to close up the show soon. So mm-hmm. what is, I, I was going to ask about your role in light of day, which you can, you can briefly go over, you know, what you do sure. at light of day, but I also want like your favorite light of day, if you if you got to your favorite light of day uh, memory and your light of day Canada memory. So first okay. of all, let everybody know what you do at light of day. Sure. So you know, along with Bob and Tony, I started light of day with those guys. That's so right. and Bob had been my manager, so I'm the only person to ever play on every main light of day show, and also the pre light of day show, which happened two years earlier in Red Bank. Bobby Bandiera's band had played, and I sang a little bit with them. So, you know, I've been there, um, and there was a year or two where Tony's involvement was, other things were going on in life that me and Bob were running it for those year or two. So, um, yeah, you know, we, it's it's been part of my life for 23 years. And then as we kind of grew up and became a board, uh, real having a board of directors instead of just being friends of Bob, uh, for many, many years I was the treasurer of the Light of Day Foundation right. and then the treasurer of vice president. And then just uh, last year, I just gave up those two roles, and now I'm the president of the board. Um, and, uh, you know, we had to really get ourselves uh, on a really good, you know, uh, very transparent uh, financial standings, only because towards the end of uh, Bob running it with his illness, you know, some of the our record keeping wasn't that great. We just had to clean it up. Nothing bad had happened. Oh, no, I, we just, I, I know. Yeah, we we yeah. just needed to get things yep. in order. So we really, Tony, 
did a fantastic job with auditors, and we just really set ourselves up now for the next, I don't want to say next 20 years, because, you know, we were hoping we would have found a cure already, That's right. uh, but we're not there yet. Well, like Willie says, you move on to another one once you do. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, you know, it's funny, when I, we started Lie Today, no, there was no one in my world that I knew that had Lie Today, and since then, I had an uncle in my family, non-blood uncle, but um, have it and then pass away, and then my cousin uh, we share this. Uh, our, our grandmothers were sisters. She's a year older than me. She has Parkinson's. So uh, it did come into my life yeah. as I got older. Um, well, it seems that, you know, it, everybody uh, knows somebody, whether it's directly in their family. Yeah. You, you find yeah. that out the longer you're in this. I find out of all the neurologicals, as I've learned over the last 23 years, it's probably, and I hate to use the word best, but it might be the best one to get only because seeing what ALS does, seeing PSP. what PSP does, yeah. um, they're really rough. Those yeah. are really, really rough. That's um, true. But um, in Parkinson's, you know, depending when you get it, it seems if you get it older, you'll have it for a very long time. And then in the case of Bob and Michael J. Fox, you know, it speeds up a little bit when you're young onset. Um, so um, going back to your question about the memories, um, there's a couple. I mean, having, you know, uh, early on, a uh, couple of quick Bruce-related ones, um, singing Twist and Shout with him and Patty on the same microphone on Light of Day 1. Right. Uh, now, now, I'm just going to bring this up really quick because we don't have a lot of time, but Gord mentioned, and I didn't know this, that you actually gave Patty, you were showing her your new CD, and when you went to take it back, Patty said, oh, no, no, this one's mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that cool. did happen. So, Pat, so Patty's Alpha took your CD. That's pretty And cool. then there was a, t- uh, the, it was a light of day two. Uh, Bruce and Joe needed, uh, Grishecki needed to rehearse, and my two two acoustic guitars were backstage, and there was this little tiny room at the Pony, and they're like, oh, we'll take them in there. I'm like, good, three of us will go in there. And taking my guitars, I'm going to sit in here. <laughs> so I sat there like a, uh, a fly on the wall for 90 minutes as Bruce and, and Joe ran through 90 minutes of songs. I just sat there listening and watching. That was wow, a nice moment. that's pretty cool. That's pretty uh, and the other Bruce one was when I came off stage after the whole crowd was singing Hold On. He was in the audience and came to the side of the stage. And as I was walking off, he said to me, he goes, hey, that's a, you guys sounded great. I said, oh, thanks. It was a good song. I said, oh, I had some, I had some good teachers. Well, can I tell you, <laughs> I was there, and he came out. I was standing on the side along, uh, along the wall at the Paramount, and Bruce came out, and he was like, you know, five six feet from me again, like mm. on the wall, and he he was watching intently and really enjoying that. So I do remember. Yeah, that. I do remember yeah. that. You know, I wanted to. You know, I you know, it's the, the, the cocky part of my personality is like Bruce. Do yourself a favor, take. One guitar and hold on. Next record, back on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> he should. Are you yeah. listening, Bruce? What do you got, what do you got to lose? Come on. What do you got to lose? <laughs> now, what about a Light of Day Canada memory to, to take us uh, home here? Before well, we play you know, um, I, I got a handful of those. Yeah, I'll I got a lot quick. of here, too. We don't have the, the, the night that we went to the after party at Yanks, when me and Caravan went two hours straight, one song into another. I don't know if you remember that. I just yes. ripping, ripping that place yep. in, uh, a new one. Um, Roddy, uh, having yeah. uh, Rowdy Roddy there. In fact, he was out the after hours at Yanks, which was which was funny. And he as was loving as, it. We were we were with Roddy. Uh, he was enjoying it as much as me and the boys were enjoying the shows we did it. Be at the 
uh, Greg Fruin or over at the uh, uh, Scotia Bank Center there, um, I started looking more forward to the after-hours party. Um, right. I remember turning Wally Palmer from the Romantics coming up to join us. He's like, "What do you want to do?" And I looked up. I go, "What, what I do like you think?" You? I go, "What do you think I want to do?" And well, you know what's <laughs> funny about that night is that I, I used to DJ at Yanks uh, right. New Year's Eve a lot, and you know that was a song I would play to get people on the dance floor. Yeah, and then I'm sure. looking and I look over at Leek and I go. Wow, he's actually right here. Like we right, we, we right. usually play the song, and there right. he is playing with. But probably, probably my, one of my fondest memories of Light of Day Niagara, right? Yeah, in yeah, general, yeah. is not so much a show, but because of all these friendships, is being in Yanks, and hopefully no one's listening, getting anyone in trouble at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> after the doors are closed, and it's filled. I was and long both- gone, by the way. Phil and both Carla's and maybe TJ, like five or six people. And I realize I'm the only person who doesn't live here, but I feel like I'm just surrounded by my friends I've known forever. Um, You're an and that feeling, that feeling, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a time I was at another event at the Scotia Bank Center for some Broadway stuff that I'm involved in. And across the way, there was, a, what do you guys call that? A Hannon something party? Uh, Stagging and, yeah, and I came across the street, and all of a sudden I'm hanging out with Uncle Frank, who was, I think, <laughs> somebody, I'm like, Uncle Frank from Buffalo is like, my new best friend, and it was, everyone's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't cross the street. And it was just this great thing, and I really love the, the community I found in Niagara, which you have a lot to do with. And so. we and, and listen, we, we love you, and one of my favorite memories as we as we leave, and I say goodbye, because I think we're going to have to have a part two with Joe Durr, so I just, <laughs> I got six questions on here that never came out, so we'll, we'll get to those with a part two, everybody enjoys listening to you but um one time uh it was too early for you i can't remember why but you guys didn't want to uh take off too early so you came back to my house you and the band and you know greg was watching cartoons downstairs and you you needed a little time to do some work in the office and anyways you guys we just chilled and relaxed and then you had to get, get going and at that particular point it was august and the red sox were like 12 games ahead it was something ridiculous and, you know, I was being my cocky self as you were pulling out of the driveway and you go, it's not over. And you guys, you guys won the division. That, year. So that, was, that was, I'll never forget that moment. I can almost picture the van backing up and me and you kind of John at each other and chirping. I'm and, glad you remember that. I'm yeah, glad. Oh, no, one, and one last little thing to add. I know we're tight on time. You said John, but it reminded me of John Eddie. Was that songwriters one we did at the oh. top of the Hilton overlooking the falls? Grishecki, John Eddy, I think PK was with him. Rick Rose, because um, Rick wrenched it. Rick in Rose, his, yeah. uh, Joe Grishecki. That was a moment. That was really beautiful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I, yeah, there were so many. And that's, I, I think, what I love about Light of Day is the memories uh, and the friendships that we've right. all created. I mean, you go down, like, I'm a, I'm a kid that when I went down to the Stone Pony for the first time and whatever it was, 83, 84, just drove down just to see it. You know, I could yeah. just wanted to see it. La Bamba sure. and the Hubcaps were playing that night. And uh, we were going to the Meadowlands for my first Meadowlands show. And, uh, you know, to to now walk down the street or walk into the pony and the lady at the counter goes, hey, Dave. And you're like, right. how the hell did that right. happen? I know. Hard work. That's how that happened. Oh, yeah. and, you and know, so, I always used to go see all those shows and – you know, now, uh, again, you know, people talk about you like you're part of this thing. 
And when you were 15, you just couldn't imagine being part of that thing. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Joe, listen, we've got a lot more to talk about, and I'm sure we'll do some uh, email chirping uh, moving forward with uh, yeah. the Rangers and the Sabres as my Sabres climb up the standings here. I'll be at the Ranger <laughs> game. I'm going, I'm going Sunday with my cousins at the Ranger game. So. Uh, that's, a, that's a team I do I do like. But yeah. I appreciate all your time, and I knew I knew it would be a long one. That's fine, and, and I want people to know that you obviously you can catch us live on Tuesdays at 3, but it'll also be up on the website eventually here at 4680Q, but it's also at lightedaycanada.com slash podcast. You'll be able to catch this one tonight. Uh, anybody that came in late and want to catch the beginning, uh, Joe, listen, thank you very much. This means a lot to me, and uh, you know how much I love all you guys, and uh, stay safe and say hi to that beautiful wife and your beautiful kids for me. Thank you, Dave. Same to you, and uh, hopefully we'll let... Hey, if we can't get a, a light of day up on the books, tell... Uh, uh, tell, tell Yanks let's put, put a, a weekend Friday, Saturday night we're coming up all the wings you can eat so we're, we'll be there well, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag but there is a lady day Canada coming so alright good good yeah, we'll Glad be here this that. fall brother alright sounds good take sounds it easy alright David be all well the best. you too take care brother bye bye uh, folks you don't know how, how much fun I have talking to Joe Durso and it's now 4.05 I can't believe it's that late and I apologize if there's Anybody else coming on the air here at 4680Q, but kind of had a feeling this was going to happen. I really enjoyed my time. I hope you enjoyed the conversations. They're always, always fun with Joey D. Uh, like I said, he's, a, he's an adopted son. I've got a million stories I could tell about, uh, about the fun we've had uh, here in Niagara and down in Asbury with Joe and the boys. Uh, his band, the Caravan, are just great, great people and incredible musicians. So thank you, Joe D. Um, we'll get into some of the future shows uh, next week. I'll, I'll talk about that. But next week, we're going to try something a little bit different. No interview, no in-station no in, uh, guest. I'm going to do something called Songs from Around the Corner. I'm going to tell a few stories and play songs from some of the unique bands and friends that I've made, uh, both in Asbury Park and here. Uh, at our Light of Day Canada shows and play some really, really great music that you may not have heard before, uh, but I want to turn you guys on to some of this great music as we move forward. Uh, here's a song you might not know very well uh, to end the show. He, uh, Joe brought it up a little earlier. It's a song he wrote for Bob Benjamin. Bob, if you're listening out there, we love you, buddy. Thanks for everything you've done. Hopefully, we're, you know, we're doing our part to help here down in uh, up in Canada. Uh, we do have something coming up in the fall. We love you, brother, and this one's for you, from all of us, but especially from Joe Durso. This one, oh, of course, at that moment, as soon as I try to, it's not like DJ, and I was a DJ my whole life. You know, I've got a, I got a, an iPhone hit in front of me, and, a, and <laughs> it kind of faded away, and I had to open it back up. But let's try this again. We're going to end the show with this beautiful song from Bob Benjamin, from Joe Durso, from all of us at Light of Day Canada. This one's called Hold On. Everybody's searching, searching for a perfect gift. I'm not sure it even exists. But the one thing that I know, down to my core, that the